Now, turn with me tonight in your Bible to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. And I want to read from verse 7. If you have your Bible, the book of Galatians, Paul's emergency epistle called Galatians. We're at Galatians chapter 6, and we're going to read from verse 7 right through to the end. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Ye see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be in them, and mercy And upon the Israel of God. From henceforth let no man trouble me. For I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing. This reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now, my text tonight is taken from the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 6 and the verse 14. It says, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Now, my theme tonight is entitled, To Consider the Praise of the Cross. Now remember for the past few weeks you've been thinking about the cross of Christ. And in this mini-series, if I can give you a little summary, we've considered the plan of the cross. I asked you the question, who first thought of the cross? And when was it planned? And the answer, of course, is God himself. God planned the cross work of Christ from all eternity. Christ remembers the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. The cross is not there for a mistake. It was not an afterthought. It was not another idea that God had because Christ was rejected as king of Israel. 
The cross was planned by God from all eternity. Long before the creation of the world, God the Father and God the Son entered into an eternal covenant called the covenant of redemption, an agreement that as the eternal Son of the eternal Father, that he himself would be incarnated in the womb of the Virgin, that he would assume a true body, that he would come into the world in human flesh, live a sinless life, die an atoning death, before being raised again bodily from the dead and return to his Father in a glorified body as God's anointed prophet, priest, and king. I want you to understand, young people, the cross of Christ was foreordained or, or preordained before the world began. And in that covenant of redemption, God the Father gave God the Son the task or the work of securing eternal redemption. That's what I mean by the plan of the cross. And the second sermon majored on the pain of the cross, Isaiah 53, verses 3 through to 6. And we thought about the Lord Jesus suffering the horrible death of crucifixion. And I asked you to think of Christ's physical suffering what it meant for him bodily. We were singing about his agony. What it meant for Christ mentally. What it meant for Christ spiritually. And I told you that no one ever suffered like the Lord Jesus suffered. His death of crucifixion was unique in Jerusalem. It stood head and shoulders above all the rest of those who were crucified by crucifixion in that day. The third message was to consider the purpose of the cross. We asked you to think about why the Lord Jesus died. The answer is very simple. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Christ died for the ungodly. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for us. The Lord Jesus, remember, died to secure and fulfill God's plan of fraternal redemption. This was a promise work. Remember, he said it is finished. One of his cries from the cross. It was a perfect work. It was a performed work. And then last week we thought about the power of the cross. And I asked you to consider what impact or what power the cross of Christ has in you. In your life, you see, people imagine that the cross of Christ is nothing to do by way of help for me when I'm facing marital problems or I'm facing financial difficulties or I'm trying to cope as a parent with a rebellious teenager. That it has nothing to do with helping me in my work as a student at school or in the workplace or in university. And if you think like that, then as I told you last week, you're 100% wrong. Because the cross of Christ is not only the one of the most powerful subjects in all of the Bible, but it's one of the most practical the cross of Christ is the Magna Carta of Bible-believing Christianity. It's, it's fundamental. It's, it's central to the Christian faith. Because the cross of Christ, remember, has the power of atonement and acceptance by God. The cross has the power of accomplishment and assurance by God. It produces a true spirit of thanksgiving in our hearts. It produces a true spirit of self-denial where we're not living for self, but we're living for the Savior. 
It brings a true spirit of brokenness into our hearts regards our sin. We, we accept our sinnership. And we say, I am nothing and I have nothing and I can do nothing to recommend me to God. We're like spiritual beggars and we're bankrupt before God. And we hate and loathe our sin. It also brings into our lives a, a spirit of victory. And then, of course, the cross is the power of achievement and affinity with God. Because via the blood atonement of Christ, we're adopted into God's family. We have access to God in heaven in prayer and we have an advocate in heaven who's a friend and champion of the people of God now fifthly in this mini-series on the cross I want us to think about the praise of the cross now look at Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14 but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Now, as you think about the praise of the cross, as you consider this message tonight, I want you to think of this. Paul's delight in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul says, But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now, what does that mean? What does it mean to you? How do you understand it? If someone was to ask you, what does that mean in the Bible? Then how would you answer them? Paul is telling us that he delights in the cross. That he glories in nothing else but the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you look at verse 13, he says, For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, what do you glory in? All men glory in something. And there were those in Paul's day in Galatia, false teachers, who were glorying in the flesh. And Paul's saying, but my glory is not in the flesh. My glory is only in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul doesn't boast or delight or glory in himself. He doesn't boast in any personal particular aspect of his life. He only glories in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me there to Philippians chapter 3. Remember what we read there. Paul says in verse 5, and I read it, Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness was in the law, blameless. Look at verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Look at verse 8. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for him I have suffered the loss of all things, and to count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him. Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is 
through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Now there's Paul telling us about his past life, young people. Verses 5 and 6. And then he's telling us about his present life. Verses 7 right through, we could say really, to 10. You see, before he was converted, he was proud of his race. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was proud of his national identity. He was proud of his political allegiance. He was proud of the fact that he was a Jew. He was proud not only of his race, but his religion. He tells us here, as touching the law, a Pharisee. He was one of the leading figures of his day. He had a heartfelt passion for his religion. He, he, he had a, a, a deep knowledge of it all. He, he was an intellectual giant in his day. All the details of it, the doctrine of it, the duties of it, he could articulate very freely. He was proud of his ritual. Notice he says, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. That was a tremendous thing back then for Paul. That was a big part of his life. A part of Jewish life. That ceremony was observed as far as Paul was concerned. It was all done, he knew, according to the law. And in his old life he made much of it. Making much of his race, his religion, his ritual. And of course, many today may not make much of circumcision because that's a Jewish ceremony, but they make much of their baptism. And they believe that by baptism, by water as a child, that that has made them a child of God and a member of the body of Christ, an inheritor of heaven. And of course, it's blasphemy. We don't believe in baptismal regeneration because baptism is not the badge of admission into the kingdom of heaven. It's, it's belief in Christ. And there's a vast difference. But Paul was also proud of his righteousness. He uses the words here, blameless, It was the outward observance of the law in his life. Think of it. His race, his religion, his ritual, his righteousness. It all mattered to him. It was what he gloried in. It was what he boasted in. It, 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 it was who he was. It, it, it defined him. But then after his conversion to Christ, he was a different man. He was changed and transformed. He no longer boasted himself. He no longer boasted in the fact that he was a Jew with all the privileges of the Jewish religion. He didn't boast in his education at the feet of Gamal. He didn't boast in his circumcision or, or being a Pharisee any longer. No, he tells us after he's converted to Christ in the Damascus Road, he'll not boast in anything save the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. He tells us there in verse 7, but what things were gained to me? My race, my religion, my ritual, my righteousness. Those I counted loss for Christ. He tells us in verse 8. And to count them but dung. That I may win Christ. He counted them all but nothing. He treated them as if they were dung. That he might win Christ. That he might know Christ. That he might find, be found in Christ. You see... Glorying in the cross of the Lord Jesus. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ meant more to Paul than anything else in the whole world. And that's the key. 
Now listen to that again, young people. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ meant more to Paul than anything else in the world. And I'm asking tonight, if you're a Christian, you profess the name of Christ, does the cross of Christ mean more to you than anything else in the whole world? You see, this is why Paul wrote this emergency epistle in the first place. The church at Galata was under attack. When it was first formed, the Christians there were sound and they were strong for Jesus Christ and they were making steady and we could really say steely progress in regard to the things of God and living out the gospel. And at the start, they're filled with great enthusiasm. At the start, they were uh, faithful and they were stout-hearted in the things of God. And then over time, we don't know how long, maybe a few months, maybe into a year, things began to change. The church began to change from the inside out. There was men came in unawares, unscrupulous men, unscriptural men. And they came in and they didn't openly deny the gospel. They didn't denounce the personal work of Christ. They didn't depart from God and his doctrine or God's word. These men were so deceitful, so devious, that they introduced something in addition to Christ into the gospel message. These men argued, well, in order to be saved, you need Christ. But you need something more than Christ. In order to be really saved as a true Christian, you must not only have of Christ, but you must submit to the rules and regulations of the Jewish religion. You need to experience the rite of circumcision. You need to follow the demands of the Jewish law. And of course, we know there's 10 commandments in the book of Exodus, but the Jews made them into 612. You need to keep the law in order to be saved. Man-made rules, human traditions, and this false teaching, and these false teachers were really introducing another gospel. And it had a devastating impact in the life of the church. And there was deep confusion among many. Some even began to forsake Christ. They started sliding back from the Savior. Listen to Paul's language in chapter 3, verse 1. He says there in Galatians 3, verse 1, O foolish Galatians, Who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you? See, Paul's so alarmed. He picks up his pen. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he sets forth a robust defense of the one true gospel message. Look at chapter 1. He says, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. You see, Paul is passionate about the gospel. 
Isn't it interesting that he didn't write a defense of himself in the way that he was treated? When he was maligned, when he was slandered, when he was persecuted, when he bore in his body, as he said in chapter 6, verse 17, the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he was persecuted for being a preacher of the gospel. He wasn't writing a defense about the way he was treated. He didn't respond when he was whipped and stoned and shipwrecked. Remember the Savior? When he was reviled, he reviled not again. And Paul was like that. Could I tell you something else? If you've heard of the name of George Bernard, he wrote the hymn, I'll cherish the old rugged cross. He wrote it in 1912. His father died when he was 16. He became a miner. And whenever he was converted through the ministry of the Salvation Army, he joined the Methodist Church. And um, in the Methodist Church, he was at a council meeting. And his faith there in that council meeting was maligned and he was held up to ridicule and laughter and there was much sarcasm about George's, Bernard's faith in Christ and his love for Christ and the gospel. And in 1912, he went home that night from the council meeting and he was discouraged. And maybe if you're maligned and ridiculed and slandered and you're discouraged, then you think of Christ when he was reviled, he reviled not again. And that's what George Bernard did. And, and he prayed, Lord, help me to be like Christ. And that night, even though he'd had the tune for many weeks or months, he'd penned the words of the hymn, so I'll cherish the old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And he looked upon the ridicule as a badge of honor. And he, and he wasn't discouraged any longer because he thought of his master and how he was treated. And it was Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this, what does it matter if you're ridiculed, despised, slandered, overlooked, as long as the Lord Jesus Christ thinks well of you? See, Paul didn't write a treatise or a robust defense when he was rebuked. But when the Savior was attacked, when the gospel was at stake, when there was those in the church at Galatia said, Christ is not enough, you need something more, Paul then, he wrote this vital, valuable emergency epistle, and he gloried only in the gospel. Here were men glorying in the flesh. And we live in a day when men are glorying in the works of their own hands. They might even glory in buildings. They might even glory in numbers and money in learning and standing. Glory in rites and ceremonies. Glory in being popular. Glorying in their pride. But Paul gloried in nothing save the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I've told you before, it's not the wood of the cross, but it was the work. It's not the symbol of the cross, isn't that glamorized today? A golden cross and somebody's neck, silver cross, even a wooden cross. It might even be in their pocket. But it's not the symbol of the cross I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about the suffering of the cross. It's not even the sign of the cross made with human hands, but I'm thinking of the Savior on the cross. See, all men glory in something. 
What do you glory in? Do you delight in the cross? Is that the most valuable thing that you could think of in the whole of the world? That that's the most vital thing to you? It's more than life itself to you? See, there's no greater truth. There's no greater doctrine. There's no greater theme. See of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was John Calvin that said our salvation consists in one thing. The doctrine of the cross. Paul's delight of the cross of Christ. Notice also in the text Paul's defense of the cross of Christ. What did Paul mean by the cross? See, I believe he had no hazy ideas. There's nothing in the New Testament that says that the cross was made of two pieces of wood nailed together to form a T. The word for cross here is the word tree. And in fact, that's the way it's interpreted in Acts 5 and verse 30, Acts 10 and 39, Galatians 3 and 13. Remember, if we read that verse, he says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. And then also in 1 Peter 2 and verse 24, where it talks there about Christ bearing our sins in his own body on the tree. Think of an upright pole. Think of a a stake. And Paul was not glorying, as I've said, in the wood or the shape or the symbol, or the sign. Rather, he was glorying in its work, in the sacrifice, in the suffering of the cross. Notice it's the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's think of that. The reference to Lord is a reference to his deity. Remember, he's God in the flesh. Not just a great man and a good man. He's the God man. The Lord Jesus Christ is not less than God the Father. He's not even less than God the Spirit. The Bible says great is the mystery of God. God was manifest in the flesh. So when you think of the Lord Jesus on the cross, remember his deity. He's the God man. He's called Jesus. That's a reference to his humanity. He was a true man. He took a body in order to bleed in that body. A perfect sinless humanity. He did no sin. He knew no sin. In him was no sin. He's called Christ because that's a reference to his ministry. He's the anointed prophet and priest and king. He's the promised Messiah. And the cross of the Lord Jesus is what Paul rejoiced in. Why? Because it was via this work that he could receive the remission of sins. Remember the Bible says, but the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. How can you deal with your guilt? How can you deal with your sin? How can you deal with the punishment of sin? The wages of sin is death, the Bible says. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. By your working, by your weeping, by your witnessing, by by your worshipping, all of that together wouldn't deal with one sin. Not even whipping your body and letting it run red with blood like Luther did. Why does Paul glory in the cross? Because via the cross work of Christ, the sacrifice for sin, the suffering unto death, 
the, the sin question. The sin problem is dealt with. There, there's cleansing for me through the shed blood of Christ. Not only is there remission of sin, but there's reconciliation to the Savior. Our Lord Jesus Christ. See, that speaks of relationship, doesn't it? And remember, the Bible tells us, for there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Not only the remission of sins and the receiving, uh, uh, the reconciliation of the Savior, but, but think about the redemption of a soul. You see, here's why he gloried in the cross. He, he valued it. He, he highly esteemed it because of these blessings that were his and, and a thousand more beside. Let me ask you tonight, have you got the remission of sins? Have you been reconciled to God through the only mediator of the new covenant? Do, do you know redemption tonight? Redemption of soul and one day redemption of body. All through the cross of Christ. Do you remember Calvin? Salvation consists in one thing. The doctrine of the cross. And that was Paul's defense of it. And I asked the question tonight, who or what are you glorying in? How do you view the cross? Does it fill your heart and mind with joy? As you think of Christ and his death, are you thrilled tonight? You know, you can rarely think of the cross if you value the things of the world, if you're living for other things. But if you think rightly of the cross, and you rejoice in these blessings that come to you. Then you live for Christ. You'll say like Paul, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. I just want you to think tonight of the delight of the cross and the defense of the cross. But I want you to think of one final thing. The declaration of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Paul says in verse 14. Now listen to me very carefully. By whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. You see, here was Paul's experience. Here's what he received via the cross. By whom the world is crucified unto me. What does that mean? The reference to the world is a reference to society that is rebellion to God. A reference to every system in the world that's fighting against God and against the gospel. You think of society today in Northern Ireland, young people. You think in this past 10 years and less. I think of the Equality Commission taking the Asher's Bakery to court on the accusation of discrimination against what became known as the gay cake ride. You think of the push today in past assemblies for same-sex marriage to be introduced. You, you think of the Pastor McConnell case when he preached a powerful message against Islam and warned about its hellish doctrine. And he was dragged to court. You, you think about the push today for transgenderism in the schools. Did you know that Stonewall had partnershiped up with the education authority to, to introduce this into our primary school children? Do you know that there's a push today for abortion on demand? 
See, we live in a dark day. And the devil's busy. And this is society without God and without the gospel. And many are deceived. And many have been bewitched. Oh, foolish Galatians, who have bewitched you? It's as if they've been drugged. And, and even churches here in Northern Ireland are affected. You think of the stances of many evangelical churches regarding the Lord's Day. In its 38-year history, the Belfast Marathon ran today. And of course, it was a violation of the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And apart from the like of the evangelical Presbyterian church, the free Presbyterian church seemed to be the only church that said no, that this is wrong and it's contrary to God and his word. I want to tell you there's many pressures on us today. And we need to stand firm as a church. Because we think of the society that we live in that's godless and there's the absence of the fear of God. And I just want to add this wee bit. And in my 20-year history, I have never preached politics from this pulpit and never will. But I want to say this. We need to pray especially for the largest unionist party here in Northern Ireland. Because I can tell you as the Secretary of the Government Morals Committee, only for the Democratic Unionist Party, we would already have abortion and demand introduced in Northern Ireland, and we would already have legislation passed for same-sex marriage. And, and the party has stood firm on those two moral issues. And without them, as I've said, these things would already be there in the life of Northern Ireland. You see, this world that we live in is opposed to God and his word. And all these moral evils, the devil is behind it. And I, I maybe want to make it clear as well, I'm against homosexuality. And, and I'm against lesbianism. And it's a sin and it needs to be repented of. But we need to go to these people. And we need to talk to them. And we need to tell them face to face. This is what God says in his word. And we need to write articles. And we need to protest. And we need to pray. We especially need to pray. Paul opposed this ungodly society in the first century. With its customs with its course, its sinful and downward, its curse, its condition lying in the lap of wickedness. Paul says, this world has no hold in me. That this world cannot squeeze me into its mold. Why? When Christ died and I died in him, this ungodly society was crucified unto me. This ungodly society, as it were, was put to death in the death of Christ. And it has no hold on me. It has no effect on me. Paul, like David, could have said very clearly, Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? And am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them mine 
enemies. See, here was Paul's experience. By whom the world is crucified unto me. And young people, this world is trying to squeeze you into its mold. And this world is trying to motivate you to an ungodly acceptance of things that are wrong. An ungodly lifestyle. And, and we have to stand with Paul and David and say, I hate them that hate thee. And, and, and the, the question was asked to Ahab, shouldest thou love them that hate the Lord? And the answer is no. Look at this last bit of the text. Just a couple of minutes. Look at the text. And I unto the world. You see, the cross of Christ had such an impact in Paul's life, in his everyday experience, that his love for Christ trumped everything else in the world. He was dead to sin. He was dead to self. He was dead to the things of this world. It had no absolute attraction for him. The, the world has no motivation in my lifestyle. The world has no hold or, or mold as far as my lifestyle, even though I don't fit in. I'm not led by the fashions of the world. I'm not led for the crazes of the world, the dress of the world, the mindset of the world, the mood of the world. Even though Paul was hated and despised and, and slandered and maligned and persecuted, he was not a worldly man. He was a man of the world. He was not even moved by the world's hatred of him. You see, society without God had no hold on Paul. Paul was faithful. Paul was not in a popularity contest. And I want to say tonight, we have evangelical churches in Northern Ireland in Belfast who today were on a popularity contest with the world. And Finnegan Baptist Church was one of them. Paul wasn't in a popularity contest. Paul was faithful. And we had here Hazel Mary Bull a few weeks ago in the Christian Institute. And do you know that the militant homosexual lobby, they tied a dead rabbit to her gate? Did you know that they slashed their tires? Did you know that they broke their windows? You didn't hear it in the news. It wasn't in the papers. It wasn't reported in the media. And the world will hate and be opposed to those that take a stand. But Paul was so in love with Christ. Paul was so living for Christ. Paul was so loving to Christ. That it was only when the gospel was attacked. That Paul rode up with a robust defense of the gospel. Because Paul knew. Let us not be weary in well doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. I ask you tonight as we finish, do you delight in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ? That show nothing else is attractive to you save the cross of the Lord Jesus. Will you, like Paul, make a defense of that in our day? Could you make this declaration? By whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Is that our experience? Do you know, is that mine? I have to search my heart. Pray for me. God bless you.
Thanks for coming. Thanks for listening tonight. We leave it there. Our time is gone.